Hey, what's going on? It's Ben Bransner, and welcome to the Ben Again Podcast for Tuesday, September 11th, 2018. What's going on? How are you? <laughs> How did I do? If you know, you know. Anyway, on this day in 2001, I gotta change tones here because this was a sad on this day. Uh, 2001, 9-11, September 11th, the Twin Towers, such a tragedy. Whether you are a conspiracy theorist and you believe it was an inside job or... You're on the other side of the fence and you believe that it was a terrorist attack. Uh, that's irrefutable, irrelevant that it happened. So it doesn't matter really why you believe it happened. Just the fact that it happened. It's a terrible tragedy. It's, it's a sad thing. I personally don't know anybody who lost a loved one in said tragedy. But I do know people who did. And so I can't imagine waking up and hearing, you know, uncle or auntie or dad or, you know, grandma. You know, just waking up and realizing that that bullshit happened to a family member, that's super fucked up. I personally tend to lean more towards the fact that it was an inside job just because I've done a lot of research, I've done a lot of watching videos and reading, and I've come to the conclusion that based on what I see, you know, if I was a machine an analyzing <clears throat> different, you know, videos and facts, and there's just a lot of holes in it for me to believe that it was officially a terrorist attack. It just, there's too many you got to watch the the documentaries you got to watch the videos uh, of the original clips you you can decide for yourself but based on what i see i have no way to believe that it just everything lined up the way it did and they got by us and they got one off on the greatest country in the world and i don't think so so anyway uh yeah this is volume 18 we are now legal if you've ever wanted to bang me you may now do so and i will not send you to prison and I will not cry rape because I am consenting. You may slip said penis or said vagina into my butt. I know, don't think about that. Anyway, I come to you today. I didn't plan this one out, this podcast. I have just been sort of soul searching recently. I've had a lot of quiet time. You know, Taylor's gone for vacation with her family and it's just been me at the house with the pets, and as you know, I'm still out of work, and uh, medical reasons aside, it's still annoying, but I've just had a lot of time to, to myself. And in my opinion, the times when you most sit and just think about life are when you're doing something that is that requires very little attention, such as showering, taking a dump if you don't bring your phone, uh, mowing the lawn, there are just certain times when you kind of zone out and you start, your brain starts firing like it doesn't normally when it is sort of distracted. When you're playing a game or watching TV or reading, your brain is, is really focused and it's tunnel vision. But when you're not doing any of these things and it's just quiet, it's almost sort of a, not really a hallucination, but kind of trippy. Your brain starts to function abnormally almost, or at least in an unfamiliar way. So I've just been doing a lot of thinking lately, of late, and um, I had a discussion with my dad about, you know, life and depression and expectations and whatnot when, uh, last Saturday. And so I come here to this microphone to share this with you, my thoughts. I have also, I know this is weird and it sounds kind of hippie, hey man, but this is, I'm, I'm, I'm just... Being honest, I've been listening to Buddhism sermons 
uh, here and there before bed each night. I'll play one and then I'll on YouTube and I'll just lay there and fall asleep to it. And I'm not super religious. Um, spiritual, if there is a difference between spiritual and religious, yeah, you could call me that. But if I was to pick a religion uh, or a, a theistic uh, view on life that I most relate to, I would say Buddhism. And I've talked about depression on previous podcasts and my struggles with it growing up, but the older I get, the more that I believe that it is not depression, the more I believe it is instead just sort of detachment. And there is a difference. Okay, I've said it before, life is a tragedy to those who feel, and a comedy to those who think. Meaning, those who are just super attached and affected by everything oftentimes are sad because, as they teach you in Buddhism, life is suffering. So if you are more of a thinker and less of a feeler, you're more likely to be able to find the comedy in life, to laugh at things. When you stub your toe, you have two options. Get angry, swear, cuss, fuck that fucking hurt, feel the pain, or you can laugh and you can go, God damn it. So there's really two, it's a fork in the road, two ways you can go with everything that happens. And I'm, I'm definitely dumbing this down as I will do when I explain the Buddhism uh, sort of theory, but just think about that. If you live and you are connected and you are, you have high expectations, you're more likely to be let down. The philosophy of pessimism, check that video out on YouTube, it's pretty cool. Uh, it sounds bad, but when you actually break it down, pessimism is more closely related to realism than optimism is. Optimism requires a lot of expectation and hope. And uh, this comedian whose name escapes me right now recently said, the reason why, oh, Jim Jeffries, the reason why people are depressed is because they still have hope. They haven't faced reality yet. And that's why you'll never see a 90-year-old person who's depressed. Because you spend the first how many years of your life going, I'm going to have this much money, I'm going to be married to a beautiful blah blah blah, and you have all these expectations. And as you get older and you're not meeting these expectations, of course you'll, you'll be sad, you'll be angry, you'll feel like you failed. You have all these negative things that are, that are negative connotations that are attached to that. Whereas if you can learn to let go of these and detach yourself and just take the good when it comes, and then with the bad you just, you know, eh, fucking life is suffering. It is. It sucks. For most people, life sucks. And if you can acknowledge that and accept that truth, you will be much more at peace. And I don't use the word happy, I use the, the term or the phrase at peace. Um, content, maybe, is a better word. Because happiness is, it's not for everyone. It's for very few people. Uh, there's just 7.5 billion people in the world. How many fucking million of them are, are happy? There are people dealing with things, depression, anxiety, every day, uh, loss of loved ones, which we have uh, frequently throughout life. Everything that you gain in life, you lose eventually, including your own life. You keep nothing. You take nothing with you. Your favorite game eventually stops being released, and then the only copy of it you have stops working. Your favorite game is gone. Your pet, your family, your everything in life is eventually lost. 
And so I have been thinking lately, why am I so attached to it? Why am I, why am I holding things so tightly when I'm just going to lose them anyway? I sort of need to let go. And that just, that doesn't mean just uh, sort of concrete things, uh, not items, I'm not very itemistic. It means just life in general. Why should I be depressed? And this is why I said at the beginning, I don't feel like I'm depressed. I'm not denying that depression exists. It certainly does. There's chemical, scientific, medical proof of it. But for me, I don't think that's what it is anymore. Certainly at one time, that may have been the case, but now... I think people are confusing uh, my detachment and my unenthusiasticness for this life. Uh, they're confusing that with depression. I've had two people reach out to me recently. One buddy of mine messaged me and said, Motherfucker, you've been fucking quiet lately. Like, you're not on social media, you're not reaching out, you're not talking to anyone. What's up with you? And I just said, Oh, nothing, man. I'm enjoying living off the grid, radio silence feels good. I don't it's quiet. When I take a break in between talking, this is what it's like 24/7 around here lately. That's it. It feels great. And another person reached out to me and said, "Hey, are you depressed?" <laughs> like, "Geez, don't beat around the bush. Tell me how you really feel." No, I'm not depressed. It might seem that way. I've been standoffish uh, that's no offense or you know nothing personal to anybody else but I've just been sort of withdrawn uh, kind of a hermit and you know if, if, if you sit and think about your life for just one hour 60 minutes turn off your phone turn off your TV just everything 60 minutes one hour just think what do you feel why do you feel it what does that stem from explore your mind you will probably learn something about yourself. I don't think in this fast-paced world people do that enough. If you're driving, if you're in the truck or in the car and you have a long drive, shut off the radio, shut off the music, turn off your phone, just drive, think. Windshield therapy, as a buddy of mine once said. You might think, oh, I know myself. Well, do you? Search yourself. I've been doing that lately, and again, not depressed, just detached. In the world, but not of it. I believe that's from the Bible. That's a, that's a verse that I can't remember. It talks about living as if you are in the world, but not of it. And this is one of the ways you would attain, quote-unquote, happiness. You basically lower your expectations. Now that sounds pessimistic. To people who are super outgoing and you're up at fucking the crack of dawn every morning and you're trying to make a lot of money or you're trying to reach these goals, good for you. You're goal-oriented. You're, you're going to achieve great things, I'm sure, you know, as long as you don't give up. But at the end of the day, your coffin will be the same size as everybody else's. And maybe it's nihilistic of me to think this way, and that's another theology that you should check out nihilism basically nothing matters and when you die nothing happens and nothing is nothing and nothing matters <laughs> it's kind of it's not optimistic not pessimistic but kind of realistic I've sort of had and it happens throughout your life an ego death recently 
when you're fucking 13, you think you know everything, you're arguing with your parents, and then you get to be like 16, and you're like, wow, I was dumb. I'm sorry, Mom and Dad. I was a little snobby 13-year-old, but I'm much more mature, and I know things now, and da-da-da. And then at 16, you think you know everything, and then you're 18, and you're like, wow, uh, I'm kind of a young adult now, and I didn't know shit when I was 16. These are ego deaths. That's what these are. There's nothing more than that. And then you're 21, and you can legally drink now, and it's not even cool to drink anymore because you don't have to sneak it. And then life changes, and you're getting older, and you, you've gained weight because you're not in high school anymore, and then you're like, wow, I was dumb when I was 18. Now I know some shit. And then you get to be like 25, and you're like an adult now, or, you know, close <laughs> in some cases. And you're like, oh, when I was 21, see, it just, it, it never ends. And I think I've hit another one of those milestones just recently, very recently. But this one isn't to say that, oh man, I didn't know anything when I was 25. Now I'm 29, and this one's different. This one to me is, wow, I expected a lot. I had high hopes and high expectations when I was 25. And the older I get, the less my expectations are because I'm physically less healthy. I'm not as mentally sharp. And so for me to say, oh, when I was 25, I sure was dumb. No, I was probably more intelligent than I, than I am now, uh, more sharp at least. And when I was 21, I was probably more intelligent because I was more freshly in school. I knew my algebra better, my trigonometry, I knew my English better. And when I was 18, I was probably more intelligent than that. So as far as intelligence goes, I don't think I'm gaining a whole lot of ground as I get older. I might be, you know, broadening my horizon and being more well-read, but as far as intelligence goes and sharpness and wit, I think that actually devalues with time. So I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I've, I've had this epiphany recently and now I feel like I'm more intelligent than ever. No, I don't, I don't want to confuse intelligence with wisdom. Life is a tragedy to those who feel and a comedy to those who think. I'm trying to be more of a thinker. I realize that there are not many things in this world of which I am super attached to. I have some friends, I like them, I root for them, I want them to be happy. I enjoy their company from time to time. But I'm going to lose them. I have some family members that I love. I say some because I don't love all of them. Sharing a last name with me is not the only way to earn my love. I've discussed this in a previous podcast. The best example is my cousin Nikki. I don't love her, I don't care about her. I haven't talked to her in years. So I have some family members that I love and without them, I would be even less attached to this life than I am now. Don't confuse that with depression. If the family members that I am close to and love were to die today, I would become even more withdrawn, even more of a shell of myself. And that's not depression. That's just less connectivity, less strands, less fibers connecting me to this existence. Uh, my son, my baby boy, my little dog, he's nine. He's almost in the double digits. You don't start thinking about losing your little furry best friend who has been with you by your side every day for the last nine years. You don't start thinking about losing him until he's like 11, 12, because 12 to 15 for small breeds is pretty normal life expectancy. So I'm not expecting to lose him anytime soon, but I'm prepared for it. And I can't even imagine the pain that's on its way when that day comes. I can't even uh, fathom it, that heartbreak, but it's coming. I know this, so I have to prepare for that mentally and emotionally. And when he goes, 
just like with my family members who will go it does happen we are all just walking each other home everybody has to get off at a stop and uh, any day could be any one of our stops right so when I think about life and the fact that it is nothing but suffering and nothing but loss when you break it down to its baser elements there are happy moments sure this is not a doom and gloom podcast it's it's a reality podcast if you're not thinking about losing loved ones your significant other your mom your dad your grandpa your grandma your aunt your uncle your girlfriend your boyfriend your pet if you're not thinking about these things you're not preparing yourself for these things like Rick says to Carl in The Walking Dead there's going to be a day when your mom and I won't be here anymore and there's nothing I can tell you and no amount of time that you can take will prepare you for that day but just know that it's going to happen okay that's Buddhism you know I, I didn't I didn't type in Buddhism when I recently uh, started listening to these sort of sermons I typed in like life is why does life hurt or something like that I typed not not to be too emo on you but I typed in something like why does life uh, fucking suck or something I was mad about something I don't know what it was and then it came up with like different theistic or religious branches of and their their uh, sort of views on things like Taoism and Buddhism and uh, Hinduism and all these like sort of hippy dippy things and on the surface that's what they seem like so I, I started out with Taoism or Taoism and I read into it and they had, they had some good points you know as far as things that actually apply to life not just stories with a lot of holes in them but I was like yeah this isn't really this isn't really it for me you know so then I went and I went to YouTube and I typed in like Buddhism 101 or like Buddhism for beginners I just wanted like a 10 minute video to explain to me what Buddhism is all about instantly it clicked and so ever since then uh, not every night probably every other night every two three nights I'll fall asleep while listening to Buddhism and Buddhist uh, sermons and sort of just speeches lectures I don't know so if you don't know what Buddhism is think of Buddha the fat guy <laughs> yep so the basics of Buddhism and I'm going to explain this to you uh, because I am a beginner so I will explain it to you as if you are a beginner because I have no other way to do it um, there, there's what's known as the four noble truths one two three four boom 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 the first truth is that all life is suffering and it says in the actual uh, list here that the first truth is that all life is suffering pain and misery but basically I you know life is suffering that's number one and if you think about it it is you can try to sugarcoat it because life is going good right now for you maybe you just got a promotion maybe you just bought a new four-wheeler and you're excited about it good things happen in life that's undeniable but if your mind is not clouded by these things and you can just step back and look at reality life in general is suffering you age aging is painful in itself you die I'm assuming death is quite painful <laughs> I can't even imagine depending on how you die of course so number one the first truth is that all of life is suffering number two the second truth this suffering is caused only by selfish craving and personal desire the more that you want the more that you look across your neighbor's yard and go hey he's got a hot wife 
I want to fuck her. Or, hey, he's got a nice car. I wish I had a nice car like that. The more you covet, which is in Christian religion as well. Don't covet your neighbor's house, wife, da-da-da-da-da. So they kind of overlap there. The second truth is that this suffering is only caused by selfish craving and personal desire. Instead of looking at what you have, looking at what you want all the time, of course you'll never be happy. If you spend a ton of time thinking, oh, I can't wait until I have this, I can't wait until I have that, all you're thinking about is what you don't have. And of course, subconsciously, that's going to make you unhappy. It will render you thinking not about what you have, but what about you, what you want, and that's obviously not good. Number three, the third truth, is that this selfish craving can be overcome. Life is suffering. Life is suffering because you're always wanting more shit than you have. And this want, this craving, this coveting, it can be overcome. Number four, the truth is that the way to overcome this misery is through what's called the Eightfold Path. And it doesn't get much more complicated than this. It sounds like we're really branching out here, but it's very basic. I'll explain that in a moment. The Eightfold Path is sort of a way to achieve what they call nirvana. Nirvana is not just a band. Nirvana is a word meaning peace or enlightenment or sort of freedom of, of the spirit, of the soul. That's what nirvana is. And you achieve nirvana by acknowledging the Four Noble Truths and following what's called the Eightfold Path. What I'm giving you is the very basics here. Uh, there is like six pages of shit, but I'm just giving you the, the cliff notes. The Eightfold Path. There are eight attitudes, or paths, you must follow to find freedom and suffering, freedom from suffering. These are the right or correct things to do in your life. Sort of like uh, the Georgia Guidestones. If you don't know what that is, check it out. Pretty cool. Georgia Guidestones. Sort of like the Ten Commandments. Basically just uh, ways to live ways to live daily which will help you achieve enlightenment and my definition of enlightenment is detachment not being affected by these mundane human mortal things oh you didn't get the uh, fucking you didn't get the job you wanted you didn't get the promotion you wanted you didn't get the girl you wanted you didn't get the you know da 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 da, da. who cares good Jocko Willink check out his video called good it's awesome it's a it's a it really relates to this. He talks about how uh, life is suffering and life sucks and oh you didn't get the promotion you wanted? Good. More time to get better. You didn't get the girl you wanted? Good. More time to work to try to impress her. You got hurt and now you're out of work for a while. Good. Time to think. Time to think about your life. Good. Basically saying that every time something bad happens, good. It means you're still alive. It means you're still breathing and you still have some fight in you. Good. I like that. And it applies to this. So anyway, here are, here are the eight steps or the eight things to do in your life. Have the right view. As I've said before, perspective is everything. Now a doctor might tell you Ben is withdrawn. He is quiet. He doesn't make eye contact. He hasn't been reaching out. He hasn't been talking to people. Ben's depressed. That's basic day one depression there. Pretty pretty typical, pretty obvious. I can, can just say that right now without having to really diagnose anything. Those are the, the, I say that with asterisks by it to emphasize it, the signs of depression. And he's very clearly showing them, right? 
Well, I don't think so. I don't think it's depression, Doc. I think uh, you're just a little more connected to this existence than I am. I'm ready to die tomorrow. Are you? I don't think that that's depression. I think that that's preparedness. I'm ready. You know? Uh, number two, the right intention. Intentions are everything. I've always said that. Always. If someone means well and they mean to help you, but they end up hurting you, are you mad at them? And this could be physically, emotionally, mentally. If you know that their intentions were pure and they fucked it up because they're clumsy in some way and it hurt you in some way, would you be mad at them? I wouldn't. I'd be like, yeah, you're kind of a doofus and you're clumsy, but I know you meant well, okay? The right intention. The right speech. The things that you say matter. They affect others. They echo in eternity. The butterfly effect. You might say something that hurts someone's feelings, and right then it's not that big of a deal, but he goes home and beats his wife. He goes home, he commits suicide. Bullying, you know, there are different examples of how speech, your words, are very powerful. You listen to a podcast and it's uplifting. You go and exercise, you feel better. Words, they do shit. They get shit done, right? Which leads right into number four, the right action. Faith without works is dead. You'll find that in the Bible too. The right action is very important. You can speak all the happy, hippy-dippy shit you want, but if you're not doing things, you're not making progress. Most commonly, you'll see this on Instagram or Facebook. Girls will upload a selfie or a picture of their tits, and they'll include a caption next to it that's like, live your life as if da-da-da-da-da, and all this uplifting stuff, but they don't actually follow this, and that's why they have daddy issues, and that's why they want to upload pictures of their tits for likes. That's their comfort. Ah! Let them. Have my like. Number five, the right livelihood. Um, I have a lot of health issues. I have had a lot of health issues. Uh, but I would say half of the reason I am where I'm at in life is because of my health issues. The other half is life choices. I have not lived the best way that I could, mentally, emotionally, physically. I have not, if your body is a temple, I have not maintained my temple to the best of my abilities, and I'm sure I would be in a much better place, physically speaking, had I done the right things. Had I stayed with exercising, stretching, eating healthy, not doing drugs when I was growing up, if I had lived properly, I'm sure I would be in a much better place. I don't think that that's really up for debate. Number six, the effort, which is what I just discussed. You gotta put in effort. Life is suffering, but life is also difficult. You gotta get up out of bed, even if you're tired. When that alarm clock goes off, guess what? It's time. Do your thing. Do your day. Whether that's working, whether that's babysitting, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whatever. Everybody has their own journey. You gotta put the effort in, right? You can't just lay down and die. You can, but it's gonna take a while. You can go like three, four days without water, and then you're done. I would assume that's pretty miserable. So it's gonna take you a while, but I guess you can lay down and die. The right mindfulness, um, I would replace that word personally with awareness. The right awareness. Try to think about not just what's going on, but why it's going on. Not what you feel, but why do you feel this way. Explore deeper than the first level. Otherwise, you're not going to know shit. I'm mad today. Why? I don't know. I'm just mad. Okay, why are you mad? Well, this happened. Okay, why did that happen? Well, because I did, exactly, you didn't. What did you not do? You weren't ready, you weren't prepared. I don't think there is anything as luck. I think that's where opportunity meets fucking, how does, how does that saying go? 
Luck is where opportunity meets preparedness. That's what it is. Number eight, right concentration. Focus, right? You get distracted, whether you're taking a test, whether you're playing a game, you get distracted, you're not going to be the best you can be, right? These eight steps are how you reach nirvana. Nirvana is enlightenment. Enlightenment, to me, is detachment, is not needing these worldly things. I don't need your items. I don't need your money. Would it be cool to have a billion dollars? Fuck yeah. But I don't need it. Okay? That's Buddhism. It's fucking cool. Whether you're sad, happy, depressed, angry, anxious, um, stressed, whether you just want something cool to listen to, I really recommend it. Just type in, like, Buddhism sermons. You can read if that's your thing. I prefer to listen. But yeah, it's it's not that I'm depressed. It's that I just don't... I guess my give-a-fuck is broken, and I'm just kind of doing my thing, you know? I'm just going through the motions. Things did not go my way physically. I am basically an old man as a 29-year-old, as I have been. Eight or nine surgeries now. I guess nine, but that's counting the wisdom teeth, which isn't really a surgery that sets you back physically, so I'm going to say eight. But goddamn, I feel old. Physically. I feel really old. I feel just tight and in pain all the time. So it's, it's really aged me, and aged me mentally and emotionally. So I just feel old, right? And uh, my life isn't the worst life. There are people who have it worse than I do. I, I, don't, I won't bitch. Uh, certainly, we all have things we go through that you can relate here, right? Uh, your ex is being a cunt. Or your ex is, you know, whatever. <laughs> your boss is, insert here. All of these things weigh on us, right? And what I've found is, through soul searching, the best way to get back at someone, if, if you want to get back at them, or the best way to feel sort of content, or the best way to feel better, is to just let it go. Be less bothered by things. Be less connected to things. Be nice to people. Be kind to people. Have a big heart. Carry a big stick. Walk softly. Those things. But remember that this is all temporary. If I'm playing a game of kickball and I'm not doing well, you know, I strike out, I get out, the other team's talking shit, I'm going to be enjoying myself less. And I'm going to, because of that, care less about the game. I'll be sort of distancing myself. This is a good metaphor, a good analogy. Trust me. If I'm in this game and I'm fucking kicking ass, the other girls on the team want to fuck me. They're like, wow, did you see his one-inch dick as he was running in his shorts? Wow, I want to suck that thing. And I'm getting home runs and I'm just dominating in the game. I'm going to be enjoying myself more. Therefore, I'm going to be more attached. I'm going to care more. Okay, so how life treats me sort of, uh, sort of controls how much I care. And I think that's a, a healthy, you know, for lack of a better term, realistic way to look at things. If life is great to someone, of course they should be appreciating it and re reciprocating and be happy and love life. If life is not good to people, you can't expect them to be fucking happy and enthusiastic about it, right? It doesn't work that way. 
you get what you put in, right? You get back what you put in, and I believe every action has an opposite and equal reaction. Um, you can use as many phrases as you want, but ultimately, like, the better life is, the more you want to live life. The, the worse life is, the less you want to live life. Let's not confuse that with depression. Again, you're either super connected to it, or you're disconnected. You're really attached to things, you can't wait until tomorrow, or you're like, meh, whatever, detached. So, are there people out there who are anxious, stressed, depressed? Certainly. But to me, uh, I've changed my perspective. I don't think that's what's going on here. So for those who reached out, thanks, I'm doing fine. <laughs> Just uh, doing some soul searching while I have this week of quiet to myself. And it is quiet when I don't have the TV on. That's it. That, what you just didn't hear there, that's 24-7 if I don't have music or a podcast or a TV show on. And when it's nighttime, I just have the fan on. Or if I have a, a sermon on, it's super quiet in the house and it's good for you. It's really good for you to not be on social media. As you know, I've given that up. No Snapchat, no Instagram, no Facebook. I don't give a fuck what y'all are up to. I don't care about your selfies. I'm doing my thing. I'm going for walks every day. Most of the time at night, because at night, the town is mine. There's no cars. It's New York Mills. Fucking 300 people. They're all old. At night, there's no cars. There's no people. It's just Gerth and I. We walk all over the town. We get fresh air. We look up at the stars. We realize the universe is huge. Life is really insignificant. If you look at it on that scale, detached. I wanted to share that with you today because that's what's up. Maybe you can relate, maybe you can't. But either way, that's what's up, that's me. We're gonna change gears here. I just have to tell you about my story, uh, my traumatizing doctor hospital visit, and I think you will find it funny, because I sure did. So, aside from my back issues, aside from my hyperthyroidism, aside from my uh, insomnia. I started having another sort of health issue that really nobody likes to talk about, but it's kind of life, you know, reality. Uh, f a few months ago, took a big dump and looked down in the toilet, and there was a little bit of blood in there. And I was like, ah, it happens. I took a big shit, you know? My body probably wanted to donate some blood, too. No biggie. I don't think that's how that works. But anyway, I ignored it. Typical guy, stubborn. Then, like, a week went by and it happened again. And I was like, oh, well, that's not good. But then it didn't happen again. And then, like, a month went by. And then it happened. And then the next day it happened. And then the next day it happened. And it was just, like, a lot. You know, like, you wipe and there's just the toilet paper is, like, just really red. Not, like, a little kind of light red smear, but, like, fucking soaked. And then I look down on the top of the water, and it's like a puddle. And blood has a different consistency than water, so it didn't mix. It was all just sitting on the top. And it was like a pool. And I was like, oh no, I have fucking colon cancer. That's not good. Now I know enough about colon cancer to know that that's not my first thought, right? Um, for those of you who don't know, um, my stepdad passed away from colon cancer, and he was a great person. He was an angel. and 
one of the best souls, the most innocent, just all-around best people I've ever met. And his name was Jerry. And what I learned from being at the hospital visiting, being on at his deathbed, you know, um, in hospice, was that bright red blood is not scary. My blood was bright red, although it was enough to where it wasn't what they call trace amounts. Trace amounts of blood can happen in your urine, in your stool, that's a medical term for poop, uh, that happens. Anything beyond trace amounts and doctors worry. Well, this was obviously not a trace amount. So my thought was, oh shit, colon cancer. But then I was like, wait, it's not dark red. Dark red means you've got some real problems. Bright red is like, eh, better, better get that checked out. And it was happening frequently. It was happening like at least every other dump. And so I went to the doctor and I said, uh, hey, I'm here for several reasons. Um, insomnia. It fucking sucks. I can't sleep. I toss and turn for hours. I sleep for, I don't know, three, four hours and then I'm up and I can't get back to bed. Every day I feel tired. I'm always tired. I have bags under my eyes. It won't go away. I've given up caffeine. I've tried exercising. I've tried eating healthy. I've tried all the bullshit that you are going to try and tell me to do to fix it. It doesn't work. I have really bad insomnia. It sucks. Right? But I'm not here for that. Uh, my back is fucked up. It's worse than ever. I had a surgery and two more um, micro-surgeries, they call them, so three surgeries, and my back is worse than ever. I'm not here for that. Um, I'm here because I may or may not have taken uh, many dumps, only to find that there is uh, somebody's putting Kool-Aid in the toilet after I poop immediately, every time. I didn't, I didn't word it like that. I basically just said, there's a lot of blood in my poop, doc, and I have this pretty girl who's a doctor, and... I was like, out of all the fucking doctors they could have given me today, I don't have a primary physician. I don't have one doctor that I go see. I go see whoever is available. And this time, of course, they give me the pretty one. And I'm like, fuck. Like, if I'm there for any other reason, I'm okay with it being a pretty woman doctor. But, like, why couldn't it have been, like, an ugly one? Or a dude, you know? I have to explain to this pretty girl that there's blood coming out of my ass. No one wants to do that. You see a hot chick in the store and you have to talk to her, the last thing you're going to tell her, hey, my ass is bleeding, you know? Fuck. So I was like, oh, of course. So, Doc, um, yeah, there's blood coming out of my ass when I poop. How often does it happen? They're going to ask you, the, you know, questions. You can't blame them. They have to diagnose things. So they, she asked me, like, uh, how often does it happen? Uh, well, it used to be, like, once a week or once a month or whatever. It was just, like, really sporadic. And now it's been consistent, which is why I'm here today. It's gotten to the point where I'm concerned. And she goes, okay, um... Do you eat a lot of spicy food? I said, no, not really. I do like spicy food, but I don't eat a lot of it. And that's that's another thing they ask because, uh, you know, if you have IBS or if you have sort of ulcers or if you have any kind of stomach issue, it, eating spicy foods or hot foods can, can, like, make your colon sort of inflamed or irritated and bleed a little bit. So she was asking the right questions. Uh, nope, I don't eat a lot of spicy foods, doc. And she goes, and this was the one that, like, I, I almost laughed out loud because it caught me off guard. She's like, what's your poop like? And I was like, what? Excuse me? No one's ever asked me that before. She's like, what's your stool like? Is it soft? Is it diarrhea every time? Is it hard? And I'm like, well, it's, it's kind of a little bit of everything, a little a plethora. My poop is a variety, a nice variety of the Hershey squirts, fucking big logs, uh, the mushy piles that build up like a mound of mud. And I, I didn't know how to, I was like, I don't know how to answer this. A little bit of everything? And she had, she didn't like, because I was kind of laughing at the time, and she was all business. 
she was not smiling. I'm sure this is just like a conversation she hates that she has to have with patients. But yeah, I was like, yeah, a little bit of everything. And so after a bunch of questioning, she like felt my stomach and kidney and colon and you know she's like pushing everywhere right she's pushing down on shit really hard because they have to they have to push like three inches into your skin with their fingers or thumb they're, they're feeling for abnormalities cool also above board i offer that to you because it hurts right um so then she goes uh okay so here's the deal i don't feel anything abnormal but because of what you've told me today we need to do a rectal exam is that okay with you here in the office? And I was like, my heart rate skyrocketed. I was like, what? A rectal exam? You mean like you have to look at it? And she goes, yep, I will insert a digit, a single digit in there and feel for abnormalities. And I will do a, uh, not an oral exam, but like a visual exam. She's like, I will look at it. Yeah, I'm gonna look at your asshole. I'm gonna have to take a look inside your asshole. And I was like, oh my god, are you fucking kidding me? I come here, they give me a hot doctor, and now she's gotta stick a finger in my ass and look at my butthole? My hairy ass crack? Oh man. So I was like, um, do you have to? And she goes, I'm not sure what you mean. And I said, do you have to look at my butthole? Like, what's that gonna tell you? She goes, oh, I'll check for anal fissures, I'll check for hemorrhoids, I'll check for any tears. And I was like, why the fuck would there be tears on my asshole? I'm not getting rammed in the ass. And she's like, well, we're just, we're going to check. You're bleeding. we got to figure out why. Of course, I didn't swear at her. I was just like, no, there's no tear in my asshole. God, do I look gay to you? Do I look like I'm into dudes? I might sound like it sometimes. Okay. So she goes, also, there will have to be a nurse in here to watch while this happens. And I'm like, why? Why in the world does there have to be two females in here while one fingers my ass and stares at my asshole? Why? That's humiliating. I didn't say all that. I just said, why? Well, it turns out that there have been times in the past where doctors have been accused of crossing lines sexually. Doctors have been accused of doing things they weren't supposed to do with patients. And what they have a nurse in there for these checkups is uh, sort of a witness to make sure that if the patient goes, oh, she fucking grabbed my dick, then the other nurse can be like, no, that didn't happen, I was there. So basically it's insurance for the hospital. The hospital has to cover their ass, make sure that no patients uh, try to get them in trouble or sue them or, you know, sexual whatever. So I was like, okay, let me guess, the nurse is hot too. And so I'm sitting in there, she goes, be right back, gonna go get the kit or whatever. And the nurse, and I'm like, okay. So she goes, it'll be 10 minutes. So I'm sitting there, and I'm like, fuck. 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 I'm about to get fingered in my asshole, and I'm super nervous. There's never been anything in my butt. Never. And I had to poop really bad, too. Yeah, I was, like, sitting there, and I was like, I hope this doctor visit goes fast, because I have to poop. And I was like, oh, no, it's, like, right at the door. It's going to meet her there. It's going to greet her. Oh, no. And I'm sitting here, and I'm just... My blood pressure is probably, like, in a danger zone now. And I'm just trying to keep my cool. And then there's a knock on the door, and I'm like... That was a gulp. I'm like, okay, here goes. Come on, Ben. You've been here before. That's normally what I tell myself when I get nervous about something. This isn't your first rodeo. You've been here before. Fuck them. Well, I had not been here before, and I had nothing that I could 
uh, sort of reel my past and my experiences in to help me through this. I had nothing. This was new territory for me. And I was like, okay, here we go. She goes, all right, we're here. And the nurse comes in. Of course, she's attractive. She's like 40, but she's attractive for her age. And I'm like, of course. Damn it. <sighs> here we go. And she goes, okay, I'm going to do a rectal exam now. Are you ready? And I was like, yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I don't think I can run out of here. You'll catch me. I can't escape your finger. It's going to get me eventually. So she goes, okay, I'm going to have you stand up and put your hands on the hospital bed. And I was like, okay. And she goes, pull your pants down, drop your drawers. And I was like, okay. So the nurse, who at this point is standing by the door watching for fucking who knows what reason. I don't know if she actually has to watch or if she just has to be in there, but I'm sure she has to kind of pay attention because that's the point of her being in there. So she's looking at me and my dick and balls, my twig and berries are facing her and I'm bent over. And so I'm, you know, like facing the door slash hospital bed slash nurse and the doctor is behind me. She gets down on her knees. She pulls my shirt up and she goes, arch your back more. I need to get a better look at this. And I'm like, what? Arch my back? Talk about the most humiliating thing that's ever happened to me in my life. So I'm pantsless, boxerless. It's fucking cold in that fucking room, so it's not doing me any justice for the poor nurse who had to look over at me. And I'm like, I want to like tell her, like, hey, it's not usually like this. It's cold in here. But I don't want to actually audibly say that because that's not the point of this. This is professional and medical. I just feel like I should give her the heads up, like, hey, it's not usually like this. I owe that to you. But I couldn't say that. So I just look up at her and I nod. And she nods. And then the doctor grabs my butt cheeks from the inside and peels them apart. And, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm not, like, sweaty or dirty or anything. I showered before the doctor visit, but I had to poop. And then I remember, like, moments before that happens, she starts spreading my butt cheeks, and I'm like, oh no, I have to fart really bad. <laughs> this is the worst time that this could possibly be happening to me. What the fuck, life? Life, what the fuck? Like, it's bad enough I had to poop, and now all of a sudden, right when she's in my face, her f or in my ass, she her face was like four inches behind my ass, and I had to fart so bad that it, I had to like close the gates. You know what I mean? You've been there where it's like, it has to come out now. But then you're like, no. And so then I like suck it back up into my stomach, uncomfortable. And she spreads my ass further because there's peel number one, which got like the outer butt cheeks. And then she put her fingers in further and did peel number two. And at this point, I feel the breeze. Like, okay, she is now staring at my chili ring directly four inches away. If I fart, she's getting double pink eye. I cannot have this. I'll never be able to return here. So she goes, well, everything looks good from here. And I'm like, I bet it does, big girl. I bet it does. You know, how's it, how's it going, Doc? I'm sorry. I'm sorry you have to look at this. That's why they make the big bucks. And she goes, okay, you're going to feel some pressure. And she didn't give me a countdown like the lady who gives the shots, you know. The lady who, who, give, uh, who uh, does the shots or the blood draws, she'll go, three, two, one, poke. So you're like ready for it. She goes, okay, you're going to feel some pressure. That wasn't a fart. That was like the moment after she said, you're going to feel some pressure. Boom. It was in my ass, knuckle deep. She was knuckle deep in my ass, feeling around in there like she was cleaning out a Tupperware dish. Just doot, 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 doot. 
And it was the longest five seconds of my life. I didn't count, but I think it was like five seconds. It was pretty quick. She was in there, and I noticed two things. One, she confused the word pressure with pain. That wasn't pressure. Pressure is when you, like, push on something. You can, like, push on your forehead or push on your ear. You feel pressure. No, I don't know if she's ever had anything in her ass, but that wasn't pressure. I'm a straight man. There's never been anything in there. That was just pain. Let's let's not make this any more complex than it has to be. That, that fucking hurt. And I was like, ooh, and I, like, gripped the bed. And then she pulls her finger out, her just lube dripping off my ass basically because they really they use like some sort it's not lubricant but it's not like uh that what's that stuff called that like goopy stuff i forget what it's called but anyway she used that and she used a lot of it and so like it was like my butt cheeks were all like wet now and she goes she hands me a single tissue just one like i was gonna blow my nose and she goes you can clean yourself up if you want and i'm like Oh, so you want me to wipe my ass in front of both of you with one tissue? Like, I don't know about you, but you ever have diarrhea and you don't use quite enough toilet paper and your fingers slip straight through because it wasn't enough? Yeah, my butt is soaked with this fucking liquid gelatin jelly stuff. If I try to use one tissue to wipe, I'm just going to go right through the tissue and, like, finger my asshole again, and I don't want that. It was one of the... Worst experiences of my life, and I've had nine surgeries where you get put under, you get cut open, you're in pain, and this was right up there with them. It was fucking awful. It was traumatizing, and she goes, everything's normal. I The bleeding must be coming from higher up in your colon, which, I mean, obviously her fingers, although her finger felt like it was eight inches long and as thick as a Pringles can, she was. she's a petite lady. She can't have big hands, you know? She has small hands, small fingers. Imagine having, like, a male doctor with, like, big sausage fingers, him doing it. Jeez, big difference. Every millimeter it makes a difference in that little region. Like, I was so thankful. I was like, thank you for being a petite lady and not a big guy with huge, thick, fat fingers the size of a dick because, oh, my gosh, big difference there. Well, anyway, she goes, yeah, everything's normal um, uh, that where she can reach two, three inches in. Nothing feels abnormal, no no bleeding. But she said, yeah, it's uh, it's got to be coming from higher up in your colon. And for that, we'll have to do a uh, where they go in with the camera. And I was like, okay. And she goes, yeah, uh, clean yourself up, slut. Hands me a fucking tissue. She's like, you dirty little slut. Clean yourself up. You nasty. Well, anyway. Uh, she leaves, the nurse leaves, and I just pull my boxers up, and my butt cheeks are, like, slipping back and forth as I walk, because now they're, like, all petroleum jelly. That's what it is. There's, like, a bunch of that in there. And so, like, when you walk, it's, like, left, right, left, right, up, down, you know? And it was fucking awful. And, uh, so I was trying to keep my cool and not fart right in her face, and I did it. I succeeded, but it was uncomfortable. So then, uh, the nurse comes in, and... Uh, this is the same one who just got to see my dick in in all of its not glory. Like, if I'm gonna see, uh, if a female's gonna see my dong, I've always been able to prepare for it and give it a couple pokes, you know, so that it livens up a little bit, so that it wakes up. You don't want to give yourself, like, a chubby or a boner, but you want to sort of, like, poke at it and go, hey, dude, wake up. We're about to be showing the house, you know? Someone's checking out the house. So, I didn't get to do that. So, uh, yeah, 
listeners who saw my very unfortunate penis at the time in the cold room. She comes back in, and I said, "I gotta be honest, uh, that was not enjoyable." And she goes, "I'm sorry. Yeah, those aren't those aren't fun." And she goes, "I need you to go down to the blood lab. We are going to have blood drawn because we have to figure out if there's something else causing the bleeding." And I said, "Okay, that's cool." And so we are walking down the hallway together. She's walking me to the lab. And I said, hey, at the blood lab, are they going to, like, do a rectal exam? Like, finger my butt? You know, because that, that hurt. And she laughed. And she said, no, they don't do that there. And I said, oh, last time I had my blood drawn, they did. And then she laughed. And I said, I'm just kidding. And I, at this point in time, life was a joke to me. I was like, I can't take anything serious. I just had two good-looking chicks stare at my dick and balls while the other fingered my ass and spread my ass cheeks and got right up there. I can't take anything seriously. Life is now a joke to me. I mean, it's always been a joke, but in this moment, I I just, it's a joke. So then we get to the lab lady and the nurse goes, have a nice life. And I'm like, you know me intimately. Goodbye. And then I get to the lab lady and I said, hey, I'm here for the blood lab. And she said, yep. And I give her my ticket. And I said, hey, um, you don't do rectal exams here, right? And then she like looked at me like really confused and she goes, no, no, we don't do that here. And I said, okay, good, because I just had one and it was awful. And then she sort of cracked a smile. She was not super serious after all. She goes, yeah, those aren't good. I hear those aren't good. And I said, oh, never been, huh? As if I'm asking her if she's visited someplace. She goes, nope, thank goodness. So then I go in. I get my blood drawn, and it's just me and this young chick, who is also kind of attractive. She has tattoos all over, and I was like, wow, you don't look like a nurse. I didn't say that. I was thinking this. Like, She has like a sleeve tattoo of Star Wars characters, and she's pretty, and she's young. And I was like, hey, we're just doing a blood draw, right? Like a blood lab? And she goes, yeah. And I said, okay, good. No, no, like, rectal exams. At this point, everybody I'm talking to, everyone, the nurse the lady at the desk, the lady doing the blood draw, I'm telling them all about what I just went through. I'm like, good, because I was just, you know, 10 minutes ago, I had a doctor knuck deep in my butt, and that hurt. It was really uncomfortable and not cool. And uh, she goes, oh, <laughs> like, why are you telling me this? I'm like, yeah, rectal exams aren't cool. And she's like, okay, well, I'm just going to take your blood. And I was like, you sure? You're loss. And she laughed, and I was like, ah, okay. So that was the end of that visit. But then I get a call back, um, my blood lab was not good. I have above average blood sugar, and I had been fasting. I had been fasting for 10 hours before the blood draw. Uh, the, you do this just in case they need to do a fasting blood lab, and, well, you don't, I do. I know that there are two types of labs, really. There's the fasting and not fasting. If they need to test your blood sugar, you do a fasting. That way they can check what your blood is like when it's uh, when you haven't been eating a bunch of stuff. They need to check if, if your body's doing the right thing, right? Your blood cells, your fucking plasma, your white, your red, everything. They check all these things. Well, anyway, even with fasting, and they didn't need to do a fasting blood lab. They did a normal one. But even with fasting, my blood sugar was still out of the normal healthy area. So here's how this works. When you eat or you drink something, your blood sugar goes up. So when you don't eat or drink something, your blood sugar goes down. With 10 hours of not eating, 
My blood sugar was high for someone who should have just eaten. So that made it double bad. I am what's called pre-diabetic. I am not diabetic, but I, if I continue at this point of little exercise and unhealthy diet, I will develop diabetes. I don't know about type 1, type 2, I don't know any of that, but this is just how that works. So I am pre-diabetic, and I also have what's called hyperthyroidism. Hyperthyroidism, instead of me explaining it to you with bro science and what little I know about it, just Google it. Anyway, this call that I get is to go back for a physical, a full physical. They need to check my body from head to toe. They gotta figure out what's going on. You know, I'm bleeding, I'm not sleeping well. I'm fucking, my back is fucked up. I have all these, these things. I have high blood pressure. They hooked me up to a heart monitor for 48 hours. It was a take home. It had these little electrical nodes that were hooked up all over my body. And I, it had to measure, monitor my heart in EKG uh, style for 48 hours. It had to check me when I sleep. It had to check me when I walk around, like, yeah. It was tough to sleep because I had these fucking electrical cords all over and the battery pack was like the size of a phone and I had to keep it on me, so it was tough to sleep well. But anyway, they, de they determined from the uh, heart monitor that 60% of the time my heart works harder than it should. 60% of the time it beats faster and has to work harder to maintain a normal level of sort of uh, oxygen and whatnot in my blood. and. It, it basically is working too hard 60% of the time. 30% uh, of the time, it's not working hard enough, and 10% of the time, it's normal. So 10% of the time, my heart is doing what it's supposed to. 90% of the time, it's either busting its ass for some reason, because it has to work hard because I'm fat, or it's not doing enough, and that causes what's called, uh, testing my memory here, palpitations, heart palpitations. Uh, where it feels like your heart sort of skips a beat or it's just an uncomfortable feeling, that's because you're not healthy. <laughs> you're pre-diabetic. You need to change your lifestyle, basically. Yeah. Well, anyway, they call me in for a full physical. And I've had sports physicals. I know that they got to touch your balls. I know that you got to drop trow and they got to put a thumb in your testicle and make you cough, right? So that's what I'm thinking this is. I get in there and I'm like, last time I was not prepared for this, she did not get... A, a proper you know look at my penis that was bullshit I gotta I gotta redeem myself here I gotta show her what I really got which I'm white I'm not packing a giant cock but in a cold room every half inch counts and I tell you I stand here before you today to tell you that I did not present the best of me to that nurse that day and I was like I gotta re, re you know rebound I have to get my reputation back from this hospital for not being Asian. I am Caucasian. I am white, and I better act like it. So anyway, she comes in, and this time it's a different doctor, but this one's prettier. This is a, a prettier doctor than the last one, but it's not the same one, and this time there's no nurse, nothing like that, because it's a physical. And I'm thinking it's a sports physical. So I'm like, oh, she's going to see my dick, and this one's really pretty, so I need to, I need to show up, you know. I have to deliver. And so I'm sitting there and she goes, be right back. And uh, I'm like, okay. So I'm sitting there and I'm just giving my dong the occasional poke. Just, just, hey, hey, don't, don't fall asleep. Remember that bullshit last time? That was humiliating. You stay awake. I'm giving it the occasional like flick, like poke. 
Now you don't want to sit in the doctor's uh, like room there, in the exam room, and jack off. You don't want to have a boner when she walks in. You're probably going to be asked to leave. You don't want to have a chub, because not only is she a female, she's an attractive female. She's probably seen lots of dicks. She's going to know the difference between a chub and a non-chub. You're not fooling her. She's a doctor. She knows dicks medically, for fuck's sake. But you also don't want it to be all shriveled and in, in, in its shell and hiding and shy. You have to find this happy medium middle ground. So I wasn't like rubbing my dong. I wasn't stro stroking it. I wasn't, but I also wasn't ignoring it. Just like every 10 seconds, I was just giving it a couple pokes, which feels not good in a sexual way, but good enough to where it like keeps your dong sort of, for lack of a better term, awake. And she's taking forever to come into the room. And so then I'm like, oh no, because I was on my phone for a little bit, and then I sort of forgot to, to do the main maintenance pokes. And I'm like, oh no. So then I'm like, oh, she could be here any second. So I start giving it like more pokes. I'm like, hey, hey you. It's just kind of like some scratches through the jeans, just scratching it, poking it like, hey, dude, pretty girl, gonna be in here soon. You have to at least put on the facade that you're not tiny, right? And all guys know this. Girls, you don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, but all guys know exactly what I'm talking about. They're, your dick can range from like a one to a 10 and everything in between as far as how you would rate it on how it looks. And there's cold weather, hot weather. Like some guys, when they work out, it shrinks. Like there's different, your dick is very malleable. Like it can do a lot of things. Some days it can fluff up. Some days it can like really retract. And so I'm just trying to get to a, a level five. I'm just trying to get to a basic level. And I, I overdid it. So my dong starts like chubbing up and I'm like, no, 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 too much. Back off. Abort. Right? And she comes in and I'm like, oh no. So I got like this chubby crawling down my pant leg. And she comes in and she's like, hi. And I'm like, oh shit. So I like cross my leg and I'm not very flexible, but I do it as good as I can just to like cover it up. I'm like, you calm down, get back in there, get back in your kennel. You know, I'm like having this mental battle with my penis in my head and I'm like, hi. So anyway, we do the physical and it's not even that kind of physical. She doesn't need me to take my pants off. She checks my blood pressure, my pulse my oxygen level, she checks my flexibility, my reflexes, she checks everything, head to toe, except my dick. She didn't need to know anything about my balls. I don't know why I was so uh, concerned that they would need to know anything about my dick and balls. It's not a sports physical. It was a health physical. They're not checking your balls. So she didn't have me even take my pants off. And then I walk out of there smiling, and I'm like, oh, I didn't even need to sit there and poke my wiener. I felt like such a douche. But it was kind of a relief because I was like, ah, I probably wouldn't have impressed her anyway, you know? She's probably with some big black dude who's rocking like a, a nine. And I don't mean a gun when I say that, by the way. <clears throat> We've reached that time. It's 103. One hour and three minutes. I like to keep my podcasts... 45 to an hour 15. That's a pretty good range. So anyway, we've reached a lengthy amount of time. That is it for today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed. Um, yeah, volume 18. Wow, we're legal now. Great. We're, we're moving on. Anyway, take care. Talk to you next time, guys. Bye-bye.